Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am your host, Al. Today we're going to be continuing my look at weapons from mythology and folklore. Today we're going to be taking a look at weapons from ancient Greek mythology. This is a very fascinating body of work, and no doubt many of us have at least a passing familiarity with the subject, because at least when I went to school, I remember our uh, English and literature classes usually had a unit where we talked about Greek mythology. Plus, Greek myth has made its way into popular culture. You might remember uh, several episodes ago, my friend Chad and I did a review of the classic early 80s movie, Clash of the Titans. Though, as I recall, Chad would probably disagree with me as to whether we should consider that movie a classic or not. Though, I actually like that movie. I, I still think it kind of holds up. Chad and I also did a review of another movie, Troy, the Odyssey. And then, of course... Characters from Greek mythology have made their way into other movies as well as TV shows. In the 90s, we had Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, which had its own a spin-off with Xena, Warrior Princess. And I think there were also some spin-off direct-to-home uh, video cartoons that were made for that series as well. And, of course, many years ago, there was also the Brad Pitt movie, Troy. Some of the older listeners might also remember that bodybuilder and actor Lou Ferrigno, who played the Incredible Hulk, uh, he actually starred in several movies based on Hercules. Disney also made their own version of Hercules, though, of course, they had to sanitize things a bit, uh, being a movie that was made for children. There was also the Percy Jackson series. I'm not familiar with it, but from what I understand, that draws heavily on Greek mythology as well. Uh, there was also the graphic novel and the movie uh, 300. And I remember watching a documentary on that. And it was interesting because while there was certainly a lot of liberties taken with the story, there was still actually a lot that was historically accurate because uh, I remember there's one scene where Leonidas is speaking with Xerxes and uh, Xerxes mentions that they're going to you know go to Sparta and they're going to take their women and uh, Leonidas was like well you don't know our women and a historian then was saying that that is actually accurate because Spartan women were actually trained in combat and self-defense as well. Now, some of the stuff was, of course, made up. Uh, as far as I know, the part about throwing deformed or sickly children off of a cliff to, to kill them, that part is not historically accurate. I will get into a little bit more about what it was like to be a Greek warrior, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Spartans later on. And before we begin, I just want to mention that the mispronunciation disclaimer is in full effect. Now, I know that Greek mythology does appear a lot in popular culture. So, that is the source I'm going to go to for pronunciations. I do not speak Greek, 
so I'm not sure how accurate the pop culture pronunciations are to how these names really were pronounced in ancient Greece. So let's talk a little bit about ancient Greek warriors and what their life was like. Now, the most common type of warrior we see in ancient Greece was the Hopolite. These were citizen soldiers who served during the period of the city-states. These men were not professional soldiers. They were actually normal civilians who were called for duty as the need arose. After the campaign was done, they would return home and try to resume their normal lives as farmers or craftsmen. Sparta is the main exception to this, where military training began as young as seven years of age. Now, one of the biggest challenges a hoplite faced was that he had to provide his own weapons and armor. Hopolites who couldn't afford metal armor usually used linothorax, a type of armor made of quilted linen. Now, this armor was actually favored by some people because of its lower cost and lighter weight. It also had the advantage of keeping the wearer cooler in warm climates. You might think linen is an unusual choice of material for personal protection, but research conducted by Professor Gregory Aldret of the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay and his student Scott Bartell showed that this armor was actually surprisingly effective against some of the weapons of the day. Wealthier warriors might enjoy the protection of a panoply. This was a term people used for a complete suit of armor consisting of a breastplate made of bronze or boiled leather, greaves to protect the lower legs, a large shield called an aspis, and a helmet. The most common Greek helmet seen in popular culture is the Corinthian helm. This helmet provided excellent protection for the face and neck, but on the downside, it greatly hindered the wearer's vision and hearing. Later Greek helmets were lighter and didn't offer quite as much protection, but as a trade-off, they didn't hinder the wearer's sight and hearing as much. The primary weapon of the ancient Greek warrior was a spear called the dory. This spear had two heads. The main head was wide and leaf-shaped, while the secondary head was a short spike. This spike served several purposes. First, it allowed the spear to be driven into the ground without having to get the main head dirty. So if you needed to have it stand on its own because you had to take care of something else, it was easy to, to do that without compromising the, the head and risking it rusting. The secondary head also acted as a counterbalance to the main head. More importantly, if the main head was broken off, the spike gave the warrior a backup weapon. And finally, it could be used to easily dispatch fallen enemies. This weapon was used in a military formation called the Phalnix. This formation consisted of a line of warriors armed with shields and spears. The phalnix was not unique to the Greeks, as it was also used in other parts of the Mediterranean world. 
The purpose of this formation was to use your shield to protect not only yourself, but also the person to your left. To aid in this endeavor, officers usually grouped people with their family and friends as a way to encourage the soldiers to protect those around them. The main advantage of the Falnix was it forced those involved to fight as a cohesive unit. This was a very different manner of warfare than the Celtic and Germanic tribes to the north. Their societies tended to put an emphasis on personal glory, so they tended to fight individually as opposed to collectively. While the Falnix was an effective formation on a flat, open terrain, it did have some weaknesses. It was not the ideal formation for rough terrain. It was also vulnerable to the rear and flanks. Another disadvantage of the Falnix was that it was not easy to break up the formation. So if the unit needed to change tactics on the fly, disengaging the unit could be difficult. The other main Greek weapon was the sword. Ancient Greeks used two types of swords, the copus and the xiphos. The copus is a slashing weapon. It is a single-edged blade that curves forward, similar to the Nepalese gurky knife. This sword was used primarily from horseback. The other main Greek sword, the xiphos, is essentially a short sword with a leaf-shaped blade. This was considered a backup weapon for when the spear was broken or if it needed to be discarded for close-quarter combat. Men who couldn't afford the best weapons and armor were often put to use as skirmishers. They generally employed shields, javelins, and a short sword or dagger. Since they did not have the protection to stand up to heavily armored units, they would employ hit-and-run tactics. Another type of soldier that was actually quite important in the ancient world was the slinger. Their primary duty was to harass the enemy with missile fire, in this case, slings. They specialized in pelting opponents with rocks or lead bullets, which were shaped kind of like a football. Apparently, some of these men also had a sense of humor. Archaeologists have found sling bullets with various inscriptions in them like catch or take that. So let's talk about some weapons from Greek mythology. I think it's appropriate to start with probably the most famous of all ancient Greek heroes, Hercules. Now before we go any further, I just want to say that yes, I know Hercules is the Roman name. The Greek name is Heracles, but since most people are familiar with Hercules, that's the name I'm going to use. His most well-known weapon was probably his club. It was made from the wood of an olive tree. He used it in the first of his labors, defeating the Naaman lion. He knew the lion's skin was impervious to edged weapons, so he hit it on the head with his club as a way to stun it so he could then wrestle and strangle it to death. He may have also used his club in the second labor, defeating the Lenarian Hydra, 
Now, depending on which version of the story you read, he may have used his club, a sword, or a sickle to cut the monster's heads off. And I've seen various artistic depictions of this labor that have shown him using his club. Sometimes they show him using a sword. Now, I couldn't find any special powers attributed to it, so I would just make it a club plus five. You could also make it either a one-handed club or a two-handed club, as I have seen it depicted both ways in artwork. I would also require a strength of 16 or better to use the weapon, as, again, since this was the club used by Hercules, we can assume it probably would be a bit heavier than your average club. The first labor also gave Hercules his famous protection, the lion's skin. So, since the lion's skin was impervious to edged weapons, it was said that Hercules had, after he killed the lion, he skinned it with its own claws. So, he would then wear the lion's skin as a suit of armor. And I know Hercules has been uh, talked about in various supplements like deities and demigods and legends and lore. I think usually they have it where the lion's skin reduces damage from edged weapons to a single point. So I can certainly see allowing that. His second labor also gave him his other famous weapons, his arrows. After Hercules and his nephew Aeolus defeated the Hydra, he dipped his arrows in the creature's blood, as the Hydra's blood was said to be poisonous. Unfortunately, these arrows would also end up leading to his own death. Later on in his life, he, he was traveling with his wife, and they came to a rapidly flowing river. A centaur, Nessus, offered to carry Hercules' wife across the river. Now, unfortunately, most centaurs we see in Greek mythology are lustful creatures. So as soon as he crossed the river, he tried to run away with Hercules' wife. So Hercules pulled out his bow and shot the centaur, killing him because of the poison in, his, in, the, in the arrows. Now, I've heard a couple different variations as to what happens here. Some variations of the story say that as the centaur was dying, he instructed Hercules' wife to take a vial of his blood. Or some say he asked her to take his blood-stained tunic. The reason why is because if she ever felt Hercules' love for her was faltering, that he should either have him wear this tunic or put the blood in his clothing and that would make him... Uh, love her again. Now, unfortunately, when the day came when Hercules' wife did suspect Hercules of having a wandering eye, as many Greek heroes and gods were prone to do, she followed the centaur's instructions. And this caused Hercules a great amount of pain because of the poison in the blood. So he had a funeral pyre built to burn his mortality away, allowing him to ascend up to Mount Olympus. So I would make these arrows fairly simple, just plus one arrows, and if you're hit, save versus poison or die. I would also make the arrows reusable because, as I recall, 
Hercules did use his poisoned arrows on other occasions, so we can assume that the blood of the Hydra somehow made these arrows permanently poisoned. Now, of course, you're going to be want to be careful if you allow your players to have access to these arrows, as in every version of D&D that I'm familiar with, using poison is considered an evil act and not appropriate for all characters. It's also interesting to note that Hercules' poisoned arrows do have a real-world parallel. Greek soldiers would sometimes poke their arrows into rotting corpses as a way to create a crude biological weapon. Another famous hero is Achilles. Now, he was said to be skilled in both the sword and the spear. Unfortunately, I couldn't really find anything special about his sword and his spear, so... I would assume you could just make those, you know, plus two, maybe plus three magic weapons. I would like to talk a little bit about his armor, though. His original shield and body armor were borrowed by his friend Patroclus so he could fight Hector during the Trojan War. Sadly, Patroclus lost. Achilles' mother asked Hephaestus, the Greek god of blacksmithing, to forge Achilles a new set of armor and a new shield. Now, it's noteworthy because his shield is actually described in great detail. It is said to have been decorated with the world, the sun, the moon, and the constellations in the center. Outside of that, there were two cities, one at peace, one at war, a field being plowed, a field being harvested, a vineyard, herdsmen defending their cattle from lions, a sheep farm, a young couple dancing, and the ocean. Scholars have come up with a variety of interpretations as for what the imagery on the shield could mean, including the sum of all of the knowledge of Homer's era, civilization as a whole, and the duality of life. Now, since I couldn't find anything with giving it special powers, I would just say you should make the bonuses for these two pieces of armor the highest possible allowed in your campaign. So if you're only allowing up to plus three, then I would make his armor probably a breastplate plus three and then his shield a shield plus three. Another hero of the Trojan War was named Ajax. He also fought Hector, though their battle ended up being a draw. So after the battle, they gave each other a gift and then was on their way. Uh, Hector gave Ajax a sword, and then Ajax gave him a purple sash. Now, Ajax was known to be primarily a defensive warrior. He was said to be very tall and very strong. And his most famous piece of equipment seems to be his shield. I would make it a shield plus five. And because Ajax was said to be a highly defensive warrior, I would say that this shield should grant you its protective bonus even when you're attacked from behind or in situations where a shield normally wouldn't do you any good. However, since Ajax was said to be a very strong person, his shield is going to be larger than the average shield, so I would require a strength of 16 to use it. I would also have the shield make you immune to fear. 
The next item I'd like to talk about actually didn't appear in any stories involving fighting, but I think it sounds like an interesting idea nonetheless, and that is the woodcutter's axe. This comes from the story of the honest woodcutter, one of Aesop's fables. According to Aesop, a woodcutter dropped his axe into a river, and since he needed it to earn his money, he was sad and sat down and cried because he well, lost the thing he needed to support his family. Hermes, the messenger of the gods, saw this and took pity on him. He dove into the river, and when he came up, he handed the woodcutter a golden axe and asked if it was his. The woodcutter replied no. He went down again and brought up a silver axe. And again, Hermes asked if this was his, but the woodcutter replied it wasn't. Finally, Hermes went in a third time and brought back the real woodcutter's axe. And the woodcutter was happy to have his, his tool back. Hermes was said to be very impressed with the woodcutter for his honesty, so he let him keep the silver and gold axes as well. So I could say for the sake of a fantasy campaign, we can say that Hermes enchanted the woodcutter's axe. I would just stat it out as a hand axe plus one, since, again, this is just a woodcutter, he's not a warrior, and he's not using this axe to battle monsters or enemy soldiers. I would have the axe give the user the ability to see through illusions as well as detect lies. However, because the woodcutter was said to be honest, the person using the axe would not be able to tell lies as long as the item in, is in his possession. Since the axe also brought the woodcutter good fortune, I think it would also be interesting to have the axe give the, the wielder a plus one to saving throws. Next, we're going to talk about another famous Greek hero, Perseus. He was the star of the Clash of the Titans movie that I mentioned at the start of the episode, and he was actually uh, also one of Hercules' ancestors. He is most famous for defeating the Medusa, and the sword he used was called, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Harpe or Harp, it's spelled H-A-R-P-E. But this sword was originally used by Kronos to castrate Uranus. It has been portrayed in a variety of different styles. Sometimes it looks like a sword that was common to the era, sometimes it's depicted as a sickle, other times, it is a combination of the two, a short sword with a little sickle protrusion. Now, according to legend, Perseus had four magic items that he needed to use in order to defeat Medusa. In addition to Harpe, which was said to be made out of adamant, he also was given the use of Hades' Helm of Darkness, which made him invisible. Hermes let him use his winged sandals to fly, and Athena gave him a shield. So, depending on the source, some sources say it is the polished shield, uh, but I've seen some people claim that it was actually supposed to be another famous Greek shield, Aegeus. So, he was able to use these gifts in order to defeat the Medusa, and then eventually rescue Andromeda. So, I would just make this a Vorpal sword, but since it was made of adamant, 
I would make it immune to breakage as well as the touch of a rust monster or similar effects. Well, the last three items I'm going to talk about are all rods or staves. First is Thyrus. This is a rod that was carried by Dionysius, the god of wine and drunken revelry. And it was also carried by his devotees as well. It resembled a rod tipped with a pine cone. So I would stat this as a mace plus one. But since Dionysus was said to be the bringer of madness and drunken rages, I would also say that you could give it another power, and that is the ability to incite a berserker rage three times a day. So this would require an attack roll, the command word, and then a save verse spells or a wisdom save depending on, or a will save depending on, actually wisdom save or will save depending on which version of the game you're using. Next is the Rod of Aesculapius. I probably did not pronounce that correctly. But you've probably seen depictions of this weapon. It appears as a snake wrapped around a staff. And it's used in many different medical images. Because the ancient Greeks associated some types of snakes with healing. The person for whom it was named was said to be the son of Apollo and was instructed in medicine by the nonviolent centaur, Chiron. There's another story that a snake, as a reward for an act of kindness, had licked Asclepius's ears clean and taught him secrets that would increase his medical knowledge. It was said that his skills eventually became so great, he could even bring people back from the dead. Of course, this angered Hades, so he asked Zeus to strike him down with a lightning bolt. Zeus regretted having to do this, so he put him in the sky as a constellation called Ophiuchus the Serpent Bearer, and he was later made a god. So I would have this staff resemble a, a wooden staff with a snake carved around it. I would give it the properties of both a staff of healing as well as a staff of the serpent. However, when you use the Staff of the Serpent part, I would say that the serpent actually animates and separates from the staff itself, so it can fight independently while allowing the wielder to still use the staff as a weapon or to use its healing properties. Finally is the Staff of Circe. Circe is a sorceress who appears in the Odyssey. Now, there were at least three other plays written about her, but unfortunately they are lost, so we only know about them from other sources. She was said to lure men to her island by singing, and when they landed on her island, she would offer them food or drink that, were, that was laced with a, a drug. She would then later transform the men into animals. So, as far as how this was done... Some sources say that it was done through the use of potions. Others say that it was done through the use of a, her staff or a magic wand. So she was said to be able to transform men into anything, from an oyster to an elephant. I would make the staff itself just a quarter staff plus one. However, I would give it the ability to cast Polymorph Other three times a day. 
However, this ability would only work on men, and it can only be used to turn them into normal animals. So there you go, some weapons from Greek mythology and how you might use them in your Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Now, if you're a fan of 2nd edition, there is a book I would like to recommend. Uh, Way back in the heyday of the 2nd edition, they released a series of green-covered books called the Historical Reference Series, and they do have one called the Age of Heroes. So if you are looking for more information on running a campaign in the days of ancient Greece, I would highly recommend taking a look at that book if you can. So with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, happy gaming and have a wonderful day. You have been listening to a production of the Eclectic Media Project. Please check us out on the web at www.eclecticmediaproject.com and on Podbean and iTunes. Find Scott and Chad on Twitter as well, at EMP underscore Scott and at Chad EMP. We are on Facebook at Eclectic Media Project. Visit our publishing arm at www.poigamestudio and follow them on Twitter at POIGamestudio. Thank you, and we look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking and enjoyable content.